Welcome to another episode of Professors at Work at the American University of Beirut. I'm your host, Rami Khouri, journalist in residence at AUB. Every week we talk to a professor at AUB to let us know about their research, what they're researching, why they're doing it, what they're finding, and why it matters to the world. We're very pleased this week to have as our guest Professor Shadi Saleh, Global Health Institute founding director and associate vice president of health at AUB and still a professor of health systems and financing in the Faculty of Health Sciences. Dr. Saleh, thanks for being with us. Thank you, Rami, for the, having me. It's a the, pleasure. Thank you. The Global Health Institute was only founded three years ago and, and your position of Associate Vice President for Health. And this has become a really huge project that keeps expanding in many, many dimensions. So tell us, why, why was the Institute founded? What were the reasons that made this necessary? Thank you, Rami, for, for hosting me. The Institute was a component of a presidential initiative uh, that aimed at positioning AUB within the global health sphere, improving our or enhancing our global footprint when it comes to health. AUB has wonderful schools and faculties that deal with health. Actually, most of our faculties within AUB or schools have a health component, right. and there had to be a way to sort of uh, have that work be featured more and have the impact be known more and more globally. So the Global Health Institute was part of that bigger vision. And this, of course, is all the more important in view of the pandemic. Absolutely. Now, now it's becoming even more relevant and what's, what makes the Global Health Institute at AUB a little bit perhaps needed in this region is because we're talking about a population of 300 to 350 million individuals who reside or live in the region and there's no one entity, let alone associated with, with an academic institution that deals with health issues that cross borders. So we were the only one and we are still the only global health institute within this region. It makes this more and more relevant and now with COVID-19 obviously the relevance of such an institute becomes more pronounced with all that's going on globally. So tell us, are you focused on teaching, on training, on advocacy, on public policy making, uh, research? What is the core mission uh, of the Institute and, and how is that proceeding now at AUB? The, our sort of overall strategic reason for being was one because it was very obvious that there's quite a bit of global health knowledge that was being produced in the world but it wasn't contextualized to this region or any other region in the global south. So there was a need for one that knowledge to have a contextual element to it, which was missing, unfortunately missing. And sort of the second uh, vision was that we wanted to show the, the world that we at AUB, we in this region can produce knowledge that not only have has relevance to our region, but also globally when it comes to global health. And I think we have uh, humbly proven that in the past uh, three years since our inception. The Institute has exponentially grown to approximately 30 wonderful women and uh, men who work uh, there. We have three divisions. 
GHI programs, which is our research and policy advocacy arm, as you say. We have GHI Academy, which is our capacity building arm. And we have GHI Assist, which is our community service arm. And the reason we made sure that we have a community service arm is that in academia, we're always blamed for, you know, sitting in our ivory towers and just preaching. Right. And for a global health institute within such a university to have an impact, we had to go out and also sort of support and deal and partner with the communities that we study and that we learn about and that we teach. Tell us first about the research dimension. What are the research topics or themes that you're focusing on mostly? We have currently three programs within GHI programs. The first program is refugee health. And the reason we started this program is for obvious reasons. The region, the world has around 60 to 65 million refugees. Approximately one third of that population is on our region. So mm -hmm. it only makes sense being the epicenter of this humanitarian crisis that we have a program dedicated to refugee health. So this is the first. We have another program that is, you know, dear to my heart because I also co-direct, which is called e-Sahha. Mm -hmm. Sahha in Arabic is health, so this is our digital health program. And what we do is we try to find innovative applications for digital health, low-cost digital health on populations. So we have, we're running three mega projects on that. Perhaps we can talk a little mm -hmm. bit more about it. And our third program, is the conflict medicine program wow. and this program is the only such program outside a military institution in the world right. and in it we don't only deal with the clinical aspects of conflict medicine we also talk about the sociological aspect the anthropological right. aspect and we bring actually people from all over the university all of these three programs mm -hmm. are multidisciplinary in nature uh, just to give you an example, in our ESAHA program, the co-directors are from the Faculty of Arts and Sciences, specifically from the Department of Computer Science, mm -hmm. as well as from the School of Medicine and myself. The same is for conflict medicine. We have people in arts and sciences. Other programs, we have co-directors from the Faculty of Agriculture and Food Sciences. So in, in reality, the whole concept of the Institute and Global Health is that of an interdisciplinary uh, field where you have to tap into the brains and expertise of people from various, various disciplines to try and make an impact in what you were doing. And this is what we are attempting to do. And if you look uh, globally around, the, say, just the Middle East region, the Arab world for now, is your priority focus preventive health or you know, delivering remedial services, curative services after people are ill you make them better, or are you focused more on getting people to take care of themselves so that they don't get sick so often? It's, it's across the spectrum and a little bit more, oh. right? So it's the preventive part, as you said, Rami, it's trying to sort of prevent the disease from happening. The acute or the curative part is trying to deal with a disease when it happens. Now, we do it from an academic standpoint that is more observing, studying, delivering evidence on how best to deal with that. But we have recently added a new component, which is the forecasting. 
So this is a component, the modeling, the forecasting, this is an issue that has gained more and more interest globally, especially with uh, artificial intelligence and all of that. And we are heavily invested in this. We already have a big project doing that, and we're very soon engaging in another project that is more on modeling health in the future, what will happen, the different scenarios, and providing all of that to uh, ministries of health in the region. Uh, one of the things that has become clear with the pandemic is the extraordinary growth of private healthcare services, hospitals, doctors, etc. The, the dilution of public health delivery in Arab countries, I'm talking of the region as well as Lebanon, and the growth of privatized commercial medicine. Is this a problem as far as you can tell? I think this is something that is perhaps more pronounced in healthcare systems, and now I'm putting on my professor of health systems and financing hat. I think this is more pronounced in healthcare systems such as the ones in Lebanon and in the US, right. where the private sector historically has played the bigger role in the delivery of healthcare. However, what has been obvious and globally all over the world is that any healthcare system where the public healthcare system was strong and established, the response has been more effective and faster. And wherever the system has been dealing more or more focused on a privatized mode of delivery specifically, the response has been a little bit delayed. So the country that we live in, Lebanon, it was obvious that if the response would have been left to private healthcare institutions, then we probably would have been in a worse situation than the one that we are now in. Right. Uh, go back to the refugee issue. The refugee health situation obviously is an important one and, and quite troubling in many dimensions. Where is the focus of your research on refugee health? So I'm going to give you, because there are many projects that we're undertaking at the Global Health Institute, I'll just give you an example of one of our flagship projects. This is a project that's called Sijilli. Sijilli in Arabic means my record. Mm -hmm. And we done this project in partnership with Epic, which is one of the global leading companies in electronic health records. So the idea that we came up with was to create a mobile medical record saved on the cloud for refugees, meaning, from a practical standpoint, meaning that that refugee, during her or his migration journey around the world, starting from their home country, they will have access to their health record wherever they end up in the world. They can just, even if they do not know the language, mm -hmm. say they ended up in Greece, right? Uh, or in Cox Bazar in Bangladesh. Mm -hmm. And they have no knowledge of the language or the context. It would be enough for them to say the word Sijilli. Mm -hmm. The provider will Google Sijilli, it will come up. And then with a two-stage password, for obviously for obvious reasons, they will have full access to their health record. And in our phase one, we were able to generate 10,000 Sijilli records. So now, there are 10,000 refugees who have a Sejilli record. Our next phase, which hopefully 
we were planning to start in the summer but got delayed for obvious reasons is to provide this with a hundred provide this to a hundred thousand refugees and we've been having discussions with countries such as Haiti as far as Haiti uh, inquiring more about how we did that and and how that can be done because basically a refugee can be a refugee from war or can be an internally displaced person or a refugee from an earthquake. Right. Yeah. So it obviously has a global impact and a global relevance. So this is one of our key projects that we're doing in refugee health. Another main project focuses more on women and their health. And in this, we're trying to study and know more what are the factors and how can we help through evidence and granting women more access to, to antenatal care so that their pregnancy outcomes are better, they seek the, the care that they uh, should within the guidelines and so on and so forth. And we've, we're doing this on uh, three populations, Palestinian refugees through a partnership with UNRWA, Syrian refugees obviously through, uh, through the network of primary healthcare clinics, and thirdly, disadvantaged Lebanese, because the three populations are equally vulnerable. This has been funded. This is a project that hopefully will start soon and, and hopefully will generate evidence that can be used as well. So the global, in your name, Global Health Institute, is literally that what you're doing will be impacting other countries as well, not just Lebanon and the Arab region. Absolutely, absolutely. And actually, in many of the projects that we do, in most instances, it's a consortium of institutions, whether in the region or whether abroad. We have partners in like Birzeit University, King Hussein Cancer Center, Hashitepe in Turkey, uh, in Tunisia, King's College, Queen Margaret, Johns Hopkins, Harvard. Mm. Now we're working more now with ICRC through a new initiative that hopefully will uh, will launch in the fall. So definitely the, the whole thing about global health or a global health institute is that uh, whatever is studied and the implications of whatever is developed should be definitely should have global relevance. Our focus is our region because for us this is our immediate sort of beneficiary. We are very focused on the region. We want to make sure that the people in the region where AUB resides and have been a sort of a, a leader uh, when it comes to higher education or research. So this is our primary obligation is to this region, obviously, but definitely what we do has relevance to many, many parts of the world. And one part of that world is the local communities. And you mentioned that you have this one, one of your three pro main programs is to work with low or intervene in local communities. Tell us a little bit about the focus of that and, and also what you're learning and what research is going on as part of that that brings new knowledge back to you which you can share with the world. So, so this is what you said, Rami, as applies, there's, there's a term that's called the global. Global, yes. Right? Yes. It's the global that applies to local and the global that starts with local. So, and this is sort of, this is the approach that we do. The division that you are mentioning is GHI Assist, which is our community service arm. And very soon when we were starting GHI and saw 
the sort of the exponential growth of that institute, we had to think quickly about how to sort of structure it in a way that made sense. And definitely the component where we deal with, with communities was an integral part of that. So in almost all of the communities, local communities that we do research with, that we train, we also have a component that is more of a community support. Now that obviously was more active before COVID-19, right? Because we were able to go down and uh, work with these people, work with these communities. It has ceased during COVID-19, hopefully we'll pick it up. But basically it's going to the communities, listening to what they have to do, doing the support in terms of yani, something as simple as doing health days, health screenings, and that is not only beneficial to the communities, that is also beneficial to us yes. as an academic institution, as an institute within an academic institution, because it tells us where the gaps are, what do we need to research, what do we need to train on, and all of that. And that has been successful, and that increases the trust between us and the, the communities we work with and also makes the work a little bit more meaningful than just being research and, and education. And what about the whole idea of this incredible knowledge that you and your colleagues at AUB have on these issues, how you take that knowledge and advocate with public policy uh, officials all over the region with international agencies, with foreign donors, World Health Organizations, all the different people in the world who help contribute to making uh, health policies. How do you see that uh, among your priorities? So I'll, I'll start answering this question by giving, by giving the example of what we did in Lebanon, then perhaps you know, <coughs> going further out. So in Lebanon, one of the topics that we have researched is the informal delivery of care in Lebanon oh. by refugees. Meaning, in Lebanon, if you have a physician or a nurse who is a refugee, legally they cannot work. Compared, for example, to other countries such as Turkey, where these refugees can work in migrant health centers. Yes. So they oh. can serve their own people, which in reality makes sense. Of course. Especially with the shortage of healthcare providers. So, we did quite a bit of research on that and then in our findings, because we found that this is de facto happening and there's a need, we've done quite a bit of advocacy work being, being producing policy reports, having you know, policy dialogues with decision makers in Lebanon just to tell them that there's a gap that can be solved. Now Lebanon, as you know more than I do, has many sort of ideological backgrounds when it comes to having yes. anybody but the Lebanese work in Lebanon. You're stuck in all of that history. Uh, however, this is how we do it, or this is how we did it. Now, another topic that we did that is we have a program on digital health, ESAHA, one of our uh, flagship programs. And we were able to generate e-health tools whether it's about screening, increasing knowledge, and all of that, even in COVID-19. And basically, what we did is after our research proved that those e-health tools would improve outcomes, 
We met with uh, external partners, be it ANURWA, be it other partners, MOPH, Ministries of Health in, in a number of countries, and we told them that this is what we found. We discussed how can those e-health tools be integrated within the healthcare system. And actually, interestingly and, uh, enough, the digital health work that we did in COVID-19, we were approached by Afghanistan. Wow so that all of the e-health tools that we generated, the messaging, the approach, is now being adopted by the American University of Afghanistan mm -hmm. to be applied in Kabul and in, in other regions in Afghanistan. So this makes us super happy and, and proud that we are contributing also, you know, no. to... to uh, uh, and this we, is what global health is about, well, you know. We have time for just one last question. With this extraordinary range of activity and service and knowledge and research and experience that is being generated through the Global Health Institute, when you bring all that back to AUB, what is the impact, as far as you can tell, on the traditional programs and activities, whether it's teaching or research or outreach, that AUB already does in, in so many of its departments? Is the knowledge that you're gaining impacting or changing how AUB operates? Any center or institute in an institution, and you know that because you were integral in the initiation of one of our flagship institute, mm. uh, the Isam Faris Institute for Public Policy. The strength of any academic institution is in interdisciplinary work. Right. And in reality, from a strategic standpoint, that cannot happen or that can happen better when it doesn't happen within an individual faculty. Right. It rather has to have a university platform that brings people together to apply their engineering, to apply their clinical skills, to apply their public health epidemiology, health management tools, to apply the social sciences and the political studies into a field that is by nature interdisciplinary. So right. that is the case in public policy, that is the case in global health, that is the case in so many other disciplines. So what we're trying to do at the Global Health Institute is provide that space, that platform, where a faculty member in nutrition is able to apply their sort of disciplinary knowledge and skills into an issue that needs an engineer and can have impact on the ground beyond only the sort of the disciplinary field of nutrition, which is very important by itself. And this seems to be a pattern in so many areas around AUB now, this interdisciplinarity and outreach. Absolutely. And the more we have those impactful platforms, we're not doing institutes or centers just to do institutes of centers. We're doing institutes and centers just to provide platforms for faculty members to make an impact even beyond their own discipline. Well, thank you so much, Professor Shadi Saleh, for being with us. And this has been quite informative, and I'm sure that we will hear much more about this in the years ahead. Professor Saleh is the founding director of the Global Health Institute at AUB, associate vice president for health, and professor of health systems and financing in the faculty of health science. Thank you for being with us. A pleasure, Rami. And thank you so you much for hosting me. And you bet. And to our audience, thank you for joining us for this episode of Professors at Work, where we talk to AUB scholars and faculty about the research they're doing, what they're finding, 
and what it means to the rest of us. Join me again next week. Bye for now. <laughs>